the context behind what that property is worth. Not so much what the other properties around it are doing, but what that particular property is bringing in for, from a net operating income standpoint. All right, guys, welcome to another awesome episode today. Uh, we have Ray Reyes. He's been actively investing in residential real estate since 2005 and now has focused exclusively on multifamily since 2016. Um, he is, uh, well, he has led MI Real Estate in investing in four multifamily properties in Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, uh, totaling over 292 units and 17 million dollars uh we're gonna hand it off to ray oh hold on before we say that please go ahead and if if you can hit the subscribe button leave us an awesome review and a five star uh go ahead ray if you could take us from there and let us know how did you get started and and you know what inspired that passion to get into real estate and also as as we've talked before you're a prior active duty army officer correct yeah Awesome. So yeah, so it's for me, it, I tell you, I mean, um, from, from very little, I remember always having a passion for real estate. I, um, you know, Monopoly was always my favorite game, uh, you know, and it, and, it, and it always dawned on me, like, you know, to win in Monopoly, if you think about it, you, got, you can't have just a bunch of cash, right? You got to actually do something with that, because eventually you start paying everyone else when you land on their, on their properties. So that kind of stuck with me. Um, so that's kind of kind of my initial initial kind of thought as we go into this. I I came from a, a poor uh, poor blue collar family, and so had to kind of my, work my way up to a point where I could actually do my own investing. Um, uh, I knew that I needed money. I knew that I needed some level of education, and so you know through trials and tribulations, I I, I joined the National Guard so I can get my GI Bill. And uh, from there, I, 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 so that was an enlisted uh, contract. And then uh, I liked it so much that I decided to uh, get commission, you know, get a commission. So I went back to college, I got my degree and got a commission in the Army. Um, and so it took me a couple of years after that to really get into to real estate investing, because as you guys know, both being a service, you know, you, they kind of bounce you around right at the very beginning between training and, you know, your first couple, you know, uh, moves are kind of like you're still trying to get a feel for it. But once I got settled, I always had in the back of my mind that I would go into real estate. And so that was kind of the, the beginning of my journey. Awesome, man. And then as you, as you got interested in the real estate and you, you know, you got settled in, how did you find your, your first deal? And, and how, how quick did you accelerate to finding, you know, going from that one to maybe, I don't know how many residential units you had, yeah, so it took me, so the first assignment I got uh, was uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and my wife being from, from Florida uh, and, and me liking the, the South a little bit decided, well, we probably don't want to, probably don't want to buy something here, right? And then, so this was, this was right before 9-11, so short, lo and behold, right after that, I, I got bumped off to, uh, to, uh, to Iraq, I'm not Iraq, correction, Afghanistan, I was in Afghanistan, and Basically, it took me through my probably as a, as a junior junior lieutenant before I got to a place where I could actually invest. And the idea was, at least at the time, was I'm going to buy I'm going to go go somewhere and I'm going to buy a house. And then once I leave there, there'd be an access 
landlord. I was going to be a, an on-purpose landlord because it was kind of a the, the decision. The hard part for me was, you know, my you, you know being as gone being gone as much as I was, uh, and and you guys know this. You, you know, your your family has to kind of pick up pieces when you're gone. And so my my wife was always a little bit hesitant for us to do any of these. You know, buy a quad, live in one, and you know because it's, you know there, there's always a safety factor involved. So. Uh, for me, it was a little bit harder to kind of get to accelerate, if you will, into something like where some people are buying buying one property, you know, one property of four units, living in one and renting the other three and kind of flipping from there. Uh, and so it took me a while. It actually, I had probably uh, when I was, uh, as I was a captain is when I actually started uh, doing a few more. I only had three residential properties and it was basically properties that I, that I bought because I lived in them for a while. And then I, then I rented them out as I moved. Um, the advantage to doing that is obviously when you're, when you're buying a house that you're living in, you, get, you, you can either do your VA loan or you can do a, an FHA loan. So you really don't have a ton of money that you have to, you know, to give as a down payment on, on the property. Once you go into actual investment properties, uh, then you, you know, the, the numbers change. Now you have to have you know, unless you find some, some other alternative way to, to do it, you have to give 20% down. So my first investment property wasn't uh, wasn't until I was a captain, uh, and so that was a property I was actually stationed at, at uh, Fort Sam Houston, and uh, and we and I bought a house for us to live in, and then I bought another property uh, as an investment property. It was it was a single family with a with a trailer, so it was it was basically a a duplex, if you will, and so that's kind of. Uh, kind of where I got going. It wasn't until probably around 2000, well, it was 2016 where I decided, and this was towards the tail end of my career, that if I really wanted to do real estate full time, just like in Monopoly, you have to go from houses to something a little bit more than houses. And so that's kind of when I jumped into the, into the multifamily space. And it took a little bit, you know, obviously, and in, in fact, in, in 2016, I was getting ready to go back overseas. So I took that as an opportunity to sort of get myself educated on the differences between investing in single family and, and multifamily. But, you know, at, at the very beginning of 2017, while overseas, I invested in my first syndication. And this was as a passive investment. Can you, Ray, can you tell us what was the process on, on that mind shift, right? Because most, a lot of people, they just stay in the, uh, in the, uh, in the side of real estate where it's like single families or small multifamilies. And, and a lot of us don't realize that we can actually afford to invest in large multifamily deals and, and, and do something larger than what we probably consider doing always. Yeah, that's a great question. I guess in my mind, you know, as I knew how long it took uh, from, a, from the process of you're looking for a property, um, you're going through the lending process, you're, you know, you got to come up with some money and, and then you buy a house and then it's one house and right. And, and I don't care how good of an investment it is, unless you just happen to find that one where somebody just has to sell and they're willing to give it, give it to you $30,000, $40,000 discount, um, you're not going to be making a ton of money monthly. And so if you want to really create some passive income, and that was my goal towards the latter part of my, my career, it's like, okay, what do I want to do after this? Well, I want to just go, like a lot of folks do, retire and then go basically work somewhere else just because, not because they want to so much as because they have to. And so uh, I figured I needed to scale up. Um, a lot of the things were still the same, but with multifamily, you can basically run through that process. It's a little bit more work, 
uh, you know, it's a little bit more work, but you can go from zero to a hundred, just like that. And so that was kind of what did it for me. I mean, time, you don't get back. Time, you just don't get back. And so, especially as we get older, you start seeing that and you start looking at that and you're going, do I really want to put my family through, you know, a, a position where now I'm, you know, I, I jump from active duty military to work in some place. And if I really want to make some money, triple dig, you know, six digits, you're going to have to hustle no matter what you're, you know, what, where you're at. Did I want to do that? And so I, for me, that was, okay, how do I do it? Go in through multifamily, start scaling my investments. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And I, I think that's like an aha moment. Uh, some investors end up having, they're like, wow, I can actually do this. And we always have limited beliefs until we actually see what is possible, which I think is awesome that you're able, you, you've been able to get so far. Um, so you mentioned education. What education did you take to make you feel comfortable to take that next level as a passive investor? So the, the biggest thing is understanding all of the terminology, right? That there's not, you know, there's not a ton of difference when you're looking at a single family property as an investment, you're still looking at how much rent you're coming, you're bringing in, you know, how much rent you're, you know, you know, what your cash flow is. And you're certainly from a value standpoint, you're doing what's called a comparative market analysis where you're looking at the properties in the area and you figure out, okay, this is how much they're selling for. Um, and then based on that, you can kind of have an idea of whether you're buying at a good price point or not. Um, that's a little bit different than multifamily. So the, the thought was, and why I did a passive investment up front is because I wanted that to be my education. So I went in as a passive investor in the multifamily, uh, but the idea was always in my mind anyway to transition into, into active. Uh, but that was a good uh, opportunity for me. Some people do go through the mentorship route where they, you know, they sign up with a mentor and a mentor sort of explains to them and kind of keeps them from making those, those, uh, those, those mistakes that, that are hard to come back from. Um, but it's, a, it's at a cost. Most mentors are not going to do that for free. But in my case, what I did is I had, I had some money from, from my investments in single family and I sold, uh, I started selling my single family and I started using that money to kind of make the leap. Um, and the idea when I talked to the syndicator that was involved, at least, First deal was always like, look, I want to do this. I'll be a passive, but I want to have, I want to look behind the curtain a little bit, right? I want to be able to ask questions. I want to see how you're doing that. And plus I'd already started reading certain books on, you know, multifamily. So I wasn't going into this completely blind. You know, there, there isn't a, a real, unless you, you know, go completely commercial real estate and you get a CCIM license or you do something of that nature, there's no real education that you can bring to bear other than you got to know some math, right? You got to be able to at least understand, yeah. you know, when you're using a spreadsheet, what it is actually doing, uh, but, but not a lot. Uh, and then those terms, you know, and, and as, as an example, like I said, in single family, you're doing comparative market analysis to kind of price a property in, in the multifamily, you're doing a, you're doing a underwriting, which is a say underwriting to see if it makes sense. But instead of, instead of using the, the same formula where you're looking around to see what else sold, you're really looking at the, the income that, that a property can provide and using that as a, as a kind of the, the context behind what that property is worth. Not so much what the other properties around it are doing, but what that particular property is bringing in for, from a net operating income standpoint. So little things like that that you just have to understand and make those transitions in, in your mind. Yeah, and I, th I think that's... Uh you know, very interesting and great point that you brought up there that 
how you the valuation of a multifamily commercial asset is completely different. Uh, and and I love that. I think that's the part that got me is that comparables. I don't have to exactly compare. You are looking at demographics. You are looking at certain things of the city. You're not exactly looking at, hey, the market's tanking or my neighbor's lawn is not done and it's going to affect my apartment building. So that's a that's an amazing point. Uh, so when you got into this, uh, that meant that syndicator, was it, he was comfortable with letting you see behind the curtain and letting you see everything? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, when you're a passive investor, you're already establishing a relationship with with that syndicator. Whether whether you want to kind of use that or not, you have it available. The, the information is available to you for you to ask questions. If you're just a passive investor and, you know, that, that person has, has made money for you before or, you know, like happens a lot of times, it's a referral. You know, you're talking to a friend and friends, yeah. This guy, hey, invest some money with this guy. He really made me some money through this, through this, uh, you know, multifamily. And they may not even know all the details, but they know enough that they're getting some money passively that they weren't getting before. So they'll refer it. Um, so you'll establish that communication with with that syndicator, um, and you can you can kind of ask some questions there uh, even before you actually make your investment. Normally, there's some sort of a you know, a webinar or something where that deal is potentially presented to you, and there's some there's some contact uh, numbers and uh, and folks that you can get a hold of. So um, so it's there now to take it to the next level and have them kind of let you see some of the documentation and start you know letting you see how they deliberate that general partnership deliberates about how they're going to communicate with their investors. That's a little bit more, and so that takes some some getting used to from that syndicator, but enough to you know to explain to you okay what why is this a good deal and working you through that and 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 if you've got some questions uh they're obviously going to want you to invest i mean they're they're excited about it uh they're obviously you know think it's a good deal otherwise they wouldn't be investing their own money a lot and i always recommend that by the way syndicators if you're a syndicator uh, uh, or you're a passive investor ask that syndicator how much of their own money is in the deal uh make sure that their money's in the deal because um, that that just gives you another level of confidence that that you know that they're you know they're making the right decisions because they're they're ex- exercising care with not just your money but theirs. Absolutely, due diligence important. So then, from there, how, how, what steps did you take? Because uh, obviously, you, you have your your firm and your you went on to the next level of your education and execution in multifamily. So how did you take it from there? So I, I um, after investing in one passive deal, I actually invested in another one um, while I was still overseas. Um, and then when I came back, I was really at towards the tail end where I was like, you know, that was going to be my last duty station more than likely. And so at that point, I made a decision that I wanted to do this uh, as an active, you know, a- active investor. And so using those contacts that I that I made through that passive investment, I was able to kind of maneuver uh, to a general partnership in, in a deal. Uh, so a little bit different, right? I mean, same terminology, you still going through that process, but now you have a little bit more, uh, you know, you're, at, you're an active participant in the deal. You're underwriting from the very get-go before offers are made. Uh, you are making decisions about, uh, you know, how to, you know, how, what the exit strategy is going to be, how are you going to take that property from that net operating income where it is and how are you going to raise that net operating income 
uh, in order to make uh, some money and pay off, pay off uh, the investors and yourself in the future. So you start looking at those things a little bit different. So, but it was always through those connections that I made as a passive investor that I was able to make that transition. No, that's great, man. That's great stuff. Jeremy, what you got? No, I was just gonna ask you because I think it's I think it's impressive and in in and I like I like the process the, the what you've been going through and, and the path that you took. Instead of uh, getting into a mentorship program, you actually went ahead and experimented with with different uh, um, syndicators. Uh, my question is right now: uh, Where are you in for our audience? Where are you in regards to your business? Uh, do you now because I know you. Um, uh, what is it called? You um, not you, you don't you don't or at least that's what I'm I'm reading on. You do consulting to other uh, investors. Yeah. Uh, what else do you do? What else do you do on your business? Yeah. So the the, the key th the key aspects of my business is obviously I use it as a tool to to uh, to communicate with with not just potential other syndicators or partners, but also with potential passive investors, which are also your partners. So I use that as kind of the, the structure by which I, I, I operate. And so um, in my particular business, my model is uh, I'm, I'm looking for deals. Uh, if I find a deal, I will discuss with other investors uh, and try to bring those people together uh, into that deal. Uh, so on the acquisition side, I, I do that and also if, uh, um, if somebody else finds a deal, then my structure is loose enough where then I can kind of focus on the capital raising aspects uh, and the investor relations aspects, which is what I enjoy doing, uh, to bring those, those capabilities to bear on those with that other sponsor, whoever it is that found the deal. So, um, so right now, my business consists of uh, capital raising, investor relations, and uh, the consulting aspects is if somebody thinks they want to, they have a deal, they want me to take a look at their deal, or if they're just wanting to learn, you know, you know, if, if, uh, about multifamily, they're trying to make that transition. Uh, I, I will do it not as a mentorship, really. I just have that discussion with them, but then I do have some private consulting that I do uh, with a net, with another syndicator that asked me to help him. Um, potentially look at deals that they're getting and that other people are kind of presenting to them. So it's a lot of looking at the underwriting of those deals from a consulting aspects and helping people that are, that have already kind of made a decision that they want to transition, but they're not exactly sure how that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is the acquisition or the capital raising. So those are kind of the key things. It's kind of a, a, a kind of a center but it's, it's loosely structured that I can go in many different ways. And for example, right now where we are, obviously acquisition is ex extremely difficult uh, right now. Uh, so, so my focus has been just kind of uh, educating my, educating uh, my, uh, the folks that I'm, I'm talking with, understanding where we are in this, in this current situation and site uh, and, and trying to get myself prepared because I do believe we're going to be in a situation you know, within the next six months to a year where it's going to be a, those, those, those opportunities are going to come to bear a lot of fruit. And so it's a lot of preparation right now. So um, it does obviously help in my case that, that, that I retired from the military and that I have the income from the military. So it's not like I'm, you know, that I have to do something. It's not like I have to mm -hmm. wake up. The only reason I wake up and do this is I love, I really do love it. And what the heck else am I going to do? I can only, you know, you can spend so much time I got the kids over here. I'm surprised you can't hear them yet. They're making some noise already. <laughs> but 
so this is a passion for me. And, and I yeah. love talking to people about this and anywhere I can help, I'll do that. And then as I invest in other properties and other deals, I grow my own passive income for myself and for my family. Awesome. I love it, man. Awesome. I, think, I think this definitely allows opportunity for, for uh, multifamily is all about teamwork, man. And that's, that's the part I really love it that you can, if you don't have a deal, but someone else does, you can help capital raise and then you can get in the deal all together different companies different firms you name it but you're doing good stuff together that's amazing so what is your syndication structure currently are you um and are you also holding off uh based on what you say the current market conditions yeah so i've made a conscious decision that i because of what i enjoy doing i i focus more on partnering up with others that are finding the deals so they'll look at a deal now from the very get-go i'll start analyzing the deals that they that they think they have so there's there's that aspect of it because you have to be involved from the get-go. You just can't, you know, by law and for a lot of other real tangible reasons, you don't want to, you know, just walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to capital raise on your deal. It just doesn't quite work that way. Uh, so you need to be, you kind of need to know that team that you're working with from the very get-go before they actually source the deal. But then when they find the deal, then I'll work with them. And I, I have several networks that I do this with, very loose networks, but it's people that, I, that, I, that I've... Uh, that I've known over time that are actually very good and they enjoy the actual acquisition of, uh, they enjoy the looking for the deal, um, which does take time, which is why syndicators get paid a fee in acquisition, because there is a lot of work that needs to be done for them to find the deals that make sense, you know, and, and a lot of that is, is not something that they're getting reimbursed for. So when they find one, they, they get paid for that. But uh, so I, I will, I, I prefer that. And so I'll, People look for you know that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in if they've got something. I've got my own money that I can put into their deals. So it's not like I'm just, you know, doing something, uh, you know, just kind of, kind of on the side. It's actually uh, along with them. And so that's kind of how I focus. And so uh, I like the co-sponsoring in, in, in short. I like to co-sponsor deals. I don't necessarily want to be the, 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 the main sponsor of the deal because of, the amount of time it takes, one and two, because of what I enjoy doing more. I hear you. And then, uh, and then the second part of that was, you know, are you holding off on the market, um, current current conditions, kind of preparing? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't get that one. Uh, so you're are absolutely you right. I'm, I'm I'm holding now. There are we, there's two things, right? One, we have all properties that we own that we have to, you know, we have to answer to to investors, and so right now. We're doing everything we can to make sure that, that those properties are in, in the best uh, conditions uh, from a rental income standpoint as possible. And we're, you know, so we're, we're really focusing on, on the operational aspects of those deals because, you know, that's, you know, you guys know this, that's where you make your money, right? It's the operations. You'll take a, you'll take a property and somebody's run down, you tighten up that operational ship and next thing you know, you know, you, you're, you're able to increase the value of that property because you've increased the the, 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 the actual space and people feel better living there. They want to live there. Um, and living in a property is, is not a want. You have to live somewhere. That's one of the things that's always attracted me about residential real estate is, you know, it's, you know, if, if you look at the, if, if you look at a lot of things that, that, that we spend our money on, a lot of them are needs. We don't need the mm-hmm. fanciest phone. We don't need, you know, the, the best of clothes. But what we do need is a place to, you know, uh, to sleep. 
Yeah. We need the safety of that, not just from a, you know, from a physical uh, standpoint of you don't want to be out in the elements, but also the safety that comes with having uh, something that you can kind of close yourself. And this is a good example right now with the, you know, the, what's going on with the you know, COVID-19. People are having to spend more time in, in these living areas. And so where a lot of people are like, well, this is going to be a tough time for, for investments in residential real estate. A lot of us are looking at it in a little different light. It's like there, people are looking for bigger areas because they need that office now in the house. Um, they're, you know, they're spending a lot more time. So if they're really in a small place. They're probably not happy at this moment. And, you know, that's kind of that's sticking in the back of their mind as we kind of transition. So a lot of people are saying that there's going to be some some drastic changes in the way people kind of think about residential real estate. It's not going to be this. Uh, this densification of, of urban areas, but it's not going to be countered the densification where people are going to start sprawling out a little more so they can have their own space. So from a multifamily aspect, how do, you, how do we capitalize on that? Well, obviously, you know, we start looking at, okay, if we've got a property, uh, are, the, are the units big enough where somebody can have an office space? Can you add that? That's, that's some way that you can add value uh, when we start looking at acquisitions again. Um, and, do you want a, you know, a, a construction or a building that's basically straight up? That doesn't, uh, everybody's got to go indoors. So if health is still something that's in the back of people's minds, maybe they don't. Maybe they want something like a townhouse. Maybe they want some garden, multifamily space where they have their own kind of entrance and exit. It's still a multifamily, but it's not so condensed. So, so looking at what and starting to look at, okay, what, what is going to be next when, the, when those opportunities come, and they will, you know, what are we going to do to kind of maximize our, uh, the investment, my investment and the investment of other, you know, passive investors? I hear you. That, that is a great point that you brought there because people, I, I have friends who live in apartments that are going crazy because they can't, they don't have a backyard, they don't have a porch, and they're like, I'm stuck between these walls, and I'm like, oh, man. So, you know, for those of us that have it, you know, blessed that we can have a backyard or something like that, or a patio, but, man, yeah, like, people are going to be thinking very differently after this. That's a great point. All right, Jeremy. I would, I would add that one thing that, you know, that was kind of a struggle for me as, as you know, as, as when I was still active duty is, and I mentioned this, when I was in Fort Campbell, <clears throat> we don't necessarily want to buy there, but let's say I have some money and I want to invest, but it's not going to be there. You know, we have to open our mindset up to, to understanding that you don't necessarily have to invest where you live. You can invest anywhere. Right. And so, you, you know, there's, there's obviously some work happen in order for you to be comfortable with that, but it's not that it's not that of a, that's not that big of a stretch especially as military, because while you may be buying something where you're located, guess what? You're going to have to move at some point, unless you ETS or you retire there, you're going to have to move. And now you've invested somewhere else and it may not be the best place to invest. Right. And so um, I always, I always, you know, have people take this time in, and recommend to people uh, to invest where it makes sense, not necessarily where it may be convenient to you at the moment. And so that's, that's something that I hope that people take to heart and they start looking at it and they figure out where, uh, where they can swim 
with the current as opposed to against it. As a, you know, if you think about, you know, you, uh, uh, you talked about demographics and you talked about other things, obviously you want to be in places where the population is growing income, the economy, it may be down now, but at some point, you know, there, there's still going to be some better uh, opportunities and better places and other coming out of, you know, this, this economic uh, problem that we have right now. And so you got to start looking at that and thinking, okay, where do I want to invest? It doesn't have to be where you're at. Uh, start making those, those connections, those networks, you know, working with people like yourselves, me and others that are in this community that, that are basically all over and figure out where it is that you think you want to invest and start reaching out through your network and connecting with people. That's key. Amazing, man. Yeah. Like, no, and, and actually it resonates with us too, because I tell people all the time, they ask me, how do, how do you, I live in California and our properties are in Ohio and I don't see myself investing in California. So uh, people ask me, like, how do you do it? How do you, you know, aren't you scared of, of you know, having all your properties in Ohio? And I tell them, well, you, you, probably invest in the stock market and you put your money on something that you, you don't see either, you know? So it's, it's, it's basically the same idea. That's what I tell them. Um, and I'm curious, Ray, with, uh, with that, what uh, class assets do you invest in? Where, where are you going to be looking at? So I, I, regardless of where we are right now, and, and you know, I, I, I really like the Southeast. Um, I don't think that we're going to be in a position where people are all of a sudden going to decide that they really don't want to come to sunny places, to warm places as they get older, as they're potentially retiring, they're, they're still going to want to come to places where it's, you know, where, where they want to live. And so I'm still focusing in this area. Obviously, I live in Orlando right now, and a lot of people are, you know, Orlando's getting a little bit of a, getting a little bit beat up because obviously they, they count a lot. We count a lot on the tourism, right? But what people don't understand is, you know, you're not investing necessarily in a market. You know, you're, you're, you're investing in sub-markets. You're yeah. investing in kind of smaller niches. It takes me from where I live about an hour to get to Disney. You know, people that live around me aren't working at Disney World. They're not working in the tourism industry, right? And so you got to kind of go a little bit beyond and kind of start really kind of picking, you know, picking those areas. Even if you're in, in, a, in a place where, um, where right now it's not doing well, look for, look for those opportunities even within your MSA where there are, you know, higher income workers, uh, where there are jobs that may not be as impacted. A lot of people don't know it, but here in Orlando is the, the, is the simulation capital of the world. They do all the simulations. In fact, uh, the military has a command out here, a joint command for military simulations. Everything from, you know, from uh, tanks to, to airplanes, everything you can. And we're actually going to a, a, uh, a transition where, uh, more and more people are looking at that as the best way to train is, you know, through simulations. And so there's all kinds of stuff happening here in Orlando that are not necessarily tied to, to, to tourism. And guess what? As soon as Disney World is back on, it may take a little bit, right? People are going to be a little bit afraid, but eventually you're going to get that. Back. So it's not like, you know, this is a forever kind of thing. So ultimately, for, from a kind of a macro perspective, you know, people think that, you know, you talk trade, you think China. Right. And, and, and China has a big aspect of that. I'm hoping that we, we kind of shut down a little bit of the, the China bandwidth, frankly, based on some of their shenanigans. But really, our number one and two uh, trade partners are Mexico and Canada. And so when you think about Mexico and you think about the, the you know, Mexico is a G20 country. And a lot of people forget that. They think, you know, Mexico, they, they, the reason they think it's a poor country, it really isn't. 
Uh, and so you have a lot of, of the economy, you know, the, that's coming straight in from Mexico through Texas and just kind of spreading into the Midwest. And, and it kind of goes from there. Obviously, you, this is all ground, which is, you know, using those, those lines of communications, those large lines of communication. So uh, it's going to continue to be an, incre an, an increasing kind of a, uh, an economic injection into the country because people want to trade goods. I mean, and, and so, uh, so I think that for the places like San Antonio that aren't quite as a, quite as um, as impacted as Houston with the oil. And Houston obviously has the oil situation yeah. going on right now. It's pretty bad, but San Antonio not so much. I mean, when I was in San Antonio, the, the thing about San Antonio is that it doesn't kind of spike up or down. It's just kind of a kind of a steady steady economy it's quite diversified and uh and so it's a good place for multifamily because you do it is a hub it is has uh you know a large population uh and it's fairly consistent people who live in san antonio they stay they kind of stay there you know they just it is a, it's not a bad place and so uh, i like that dallas obviously is is a whole whole different monster uh but but it's still obviously if you look at the numbers it's been doing well for a long time and a lot of that has to do with that that economic boom coming from trade. So yeah, so those are I would say the markets that I, that I'm most interested in. Man, that's awesome. To, yeah, what, what you have to kind of see outside your your industry to understand what impacts your industry, right? So that that's great insight right there, uh, Jeremy. What do you have before we start kind of wrapping it up? Oh no no no! I think I, I think it's great. Um, we're we're actually looking, and I'm, I'm very interested in in Florida. So uh, you're there, and I think Florida is, is especially Tampa. I like Tampa. Absolutely. Yeah. One other thing that I'm I'm starting to look at, and huh? I, I kind of mentioned this a couple times, is you know within the within the the geographic regions, and you have different asset classes, right? And so I'm starting to look at uh, at senior senior housing. And when people think senior housing right now, they're thinking you know these huge large nursing homes, uh, but not necessarily. I mean, you have uh, you can buy a, a large single family house and convert it into basically eight beds, depending on how big the house is. And the, uh, the idea is that you're actually able to kind of, uh, you know, grow your income that way, as opposed to just a rental, you're actually taking that and convert it into, into senior housing. Um, and what's happening right now is that a lot of people are kind of looking at this nursing homes these huge nursing homes and they're seeing that negative impact of, you know, coronavirus on, on them and not even being able to see their families where you take that model of a smaller, a home, uh, and it is a senior living area. It's obviously not for those that need, you know, substantial care, but people that just need some, just some oversight, maybe, a you know, 24 seven, just a nurse on, on standby. And, and really taking that model because it allows you to kind of be more with your family. It's, you don't have to go to these big nursing homes and, you know, and, and risk something like, like you, you're risking with right now with coronavirus with just one person. And all of a sudden, everybody is, is you know, is, is reeling from the, from the yeah. experience. Yeah. So yeah. it's something I'm looking at. I mean, it's uh, uh, obviously want to be still continue to look and not necessarily um, look at just one aspect. A lot of people are looking into self-storage. What happens in self-storage when people... Um, have to move because of economic conditions. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll scale into one place. And you guys know this from living and from PCS yeah. from one place to another. All of a sudden you find that what you had in your old house that fit just fine, 
doesn't fit where you're at now. And so what do you do with it? I mean, you have to put it somewhere. And so self-storage is, is looking, looking pretty good. And so there's always, you always want to look at one or two different asset classes, not just, you know, not just focus on one thing because you got to kind of look at what's going on in the economy. And that's yeah. obviously key right now. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great points, man. Great, great uh, points into the, your insight of what, what you're going to do coming shortly. Uh, so kind of last question that we always wrap it up with is, uh, you know, and you kind of mentioned it in, in the beginning a little bit, which is, you know, your family and real estate balance, your work balance, you know, how do you do it? How do you make it happen? Obviously your, your spouse, your significant other has to be on board. You have to take care of family as well. Um, yeah. How do, how do you make it happen, man? Cause uh, you know, we see a lot of real estate investors that don't necessarily know how to balance it or they don't even talk about it. They may be making millions, but their family's not doing as well. So how do you do it, brother? Yeah, you know, so I, so it's perspective, right? I mean, even let's let's talk a little bit about the different cultures within the military. I mean, you, you I mean, we got Marines, we got Air Force, and we got Army, at least retired Army here. Yeah. And I remember when, you know, and I mentioned this when I was in Fort Campbell, 9-11, it was basically about a two-year period where I was kind of gone the whole time. I mean, Yep. Work-life balance was, I mean, this was before, you know, before you had Zoom and before you had any of this stuff. So, you know, you, you weren't talking on a video to your family. And so I remember this and it's kind of still stings, you know, a little, a little bit when I think about it is um, when I came back from, from my, my, my deployment, my youngest son didn't recognize me. I mean, he's, he was afraid of me. I mean, we're talking about a baby, right? But, but they were you know, they, they don't know you. And so to, to go from that perspective, I think it, it's kind of important to understand where I'm right now, you know, and I kind of mentioned this, right? You know, a lot of people retire out of the military or they get out of the military, but if they're not prepared, they end up putting themselves in, in a sometimes better, sometimes a little bit worse position when it comes to, you know, hours and, and family life balance, because nobody's paying you 100000 or more a year if you're an officer and that's kind of what you're looking at. To basically work part-time you're going to be working 60 80 hours 100 hours whatever it takes it's just the bottom line uh and so um so for me i didn't want to do that my you know i i wanted to kind of be in a position to have enough passive income so between my retirement and what i'm getting from my investments i don't have to work i don't i just don't I'm, i do this because i like it i would like Passion. to be better don't get me wrong but I would like to do better. But you know, when I get off of this call right now, I'm going to go spend time with family. They're right here. And I choose when I, when I work and when I don't in this business, and you can't do that in a lot of businesses. And so for me, that's kind of, you know, when I look at work life balance, it's completely different. Now there are people obviously that are, you know, you're really, if you're younger and you're getting after this and you're house hacking and you're doing all this stuff. Uh, the important thing to remember is there's different theories of work life balance. One is, you, know, you take a day and you divide it in three and that's, you know, you take your, you know, your personal time, your work time and your family time. And you kind of, that's kind of how you live, live the life. Uh, in the, in the army, work life balances is you could be gone for, you know, for, for months and that's all you're doing is work. But when you come back and you obviously scale down, the idea is you scale down quite a bit and you spend a whole lot of time with your family. And the Marine Corps is probably very similar where it's like, you just got to choose your, 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 your time, whenever you can get it, you yeah. get it, right? And so, but the Air Force, I know the Air Force loves their, you know, their, their, their three days, you know, their, their, their three division, <laughs> one day, and you guys love your, your time off. So you, know, you got a bunch of pilots that got to sleep and all kinds of stuff. But, 
the bottom line is if you're working and, and, and you're trying to really get ahead and you really have to put that extra time, then your work life balance may be a year or two down the road once you've got a kind of got this thing cooking, right? Uh, it's, it's a personal decision. I mean, you have to know it. Obviously, you know, your, your family uh, has to be on board with whatever you're doing. Like I mentioned, my wife wasn't very keen about me house hacking, you know, when, when, you know, yeah. when, I, was, when I was deployed, right? She wanted the nice house. She wanted to be in, in yeah. a really nice neighborhood. And guess what? Those don't pencil out that much. Yeah. They, just, they just don't. And so you got to kind of weigh those two and figure it out. But it, it, is a, it is a constant struggle. You just have to understand, you have to kind of backwards plan it. Where is it that you want to go? And what's it going to take to get there? And so, and then, and you know, no, no plan, you know, survive first contact. But if you have at least an idea or an end state, you can kind of work and kind of continue to move and move forward and make progress. Man, I love it, man. You hit it great stuff. And, and you know what? I'm just going to add one thing that you said there. My brother being the Marine gets more time off than I ever have. <laughs> hey, but, I'll, More I'll, of a I'll desk job. There. I retire, I retire po- possibly in six months. So it's like I, I don't he know has the most mean. desk job I have ever seen a Marine. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, in this case, he's a Marine Chair Force. I'm the whatever. That's the beauty about the, you know, the one thing I, I, I want to mention is the beauty about in the military and, and actually kind of in this multifamily is that you, you do build these relationships, right? Because you know, in the military, it's obviously all kind of driving to whatever that goal is, whatever that mission is. In a multifamily, you have to work with others. And then that's the beauty of it, right? If you really enjoy that aspect, you enjoy helping, this is kind of one of those things that allow you to do that. It's not exactly like the military, right? You know, it's yeah. a little different, but, but there is this camaraderie that comes with, you know, with networking with others and you're all trying to make it happen. You're all trying yeah. to succeed together. Yeah, I hear you, man. Man, great stuff today. Ray, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Uh, we appreciate it. Tell people where they can find you, man, and where they can reach you. Yeah, the, the best way is uh, www.mirealestate.us. That's uh, from there. They can kind of uh, get me on any kind of the social media. I'm, I'm kind of plugged in from there. Awesome. Sweet, man. And he also has an awesome Facebook group. Check it out. I forget the name. What's the name? Military. Military and Ver- Veterans Real Estate Investing Group. Yeah, so it's really good. And I try, awesome. to, I try to focus it and keep it to just military, military members and, and families. And so I, I, I do a lot to just try to make sure that I'm not just letting anybody in, but, but that the right people are, are, are in there. Awesome, sweet, man. Well, again, thank you for coming on. And if you're listening, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Thank you guys so much.